Micah chapter 7 this morning, please. Let's read verses 14 through 20. Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitary in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. According to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truths to Jacob, the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Amen. What, what a great set of verses. Amen. Let's open in order of prayer. Father, we love you. We pray now that you would open our understanding that we might understand the scriptures. Be with every class every listener, uh, every teacher. May your will be done. May we learn, may we grow, be conformed into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been going through this entire prophecy of the book of Micah, we've seen this back and forth between the foretelling of good things and the foretelling of captivity. And we saw in the preceding verses here in chapter 7 as well, this back and forth, the people were going to have to bear the Lord's indignation because of their sinfulness against God. But then we saw God was going to plead their cause and He was going to execute judgment. And so they were going to have to bear the indignation of the Lord because of their sinfulness. But then Micah says, hey, the Lord's going to plead your cause. He's going to execute judgment against the Babylonians. And remember, we saw the walls would be built again. There would be restoration from captivity. And then in verse 13, there's the reminder again of the captivity. <laughs> so it's this back and forth volleying between uh, what God is going to do against them and then what God is going to do for them. And now in these final set of verses, after being told captivity was still on the way there in verse 13, we see now there's a return to God's foretelling of these blessings. And then in these verses, we're going to see, if you haven't already from me reading them, we're going to see a clear foretelling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before we get to those blessings, let's look at verse 14. Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitary in the wood, in the midst of Carmel, and let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old. Micah prays for the blessings of God upon his people. Micah has to do so under the pretense of who God is and not who they are. They deserve judgment. They have forsaken God. They have played the harlot. They have gone after idols. And God, he, he finally is going to bring judgment upon them. And so as Micah prays for these blessings, he's looking at who God is. There's a severe lack of righteousness in the land. You remember that earlier in this chapter? 
They have forsaken God and they are going to bear the fruit of their doings. And so the appeal here is for God to work because of His promises to the patriarchs, which we see hinted at there, at least two out of the three there in verse 20. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham. And though Isaac isn't mentioned, the, the idea is that God is going to perform what he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Micah knows God is going to stay faithful to his word and to his promises. Even though the recent generations have forsaken God and they've been unfaithful. And on the basis of who God is and what God has promised, Micah prays to God knowing that God is faithful. There was no righteousness in the land, he said. There's nobody that you could trust, nobody you could put your confidence in. We saw that earlier. And, and now he's praying to God for him to bless. God, you're faithful. We are undeserving. That's the same for us today. We don't merit God's favor because of who we are. What we've done, but we experience God's favor because of who He is and what Christ has done on our behalf. And so we call upon God in faith, having faith in who He is, and faith in what He has promised, because, listen, this is all about Him. Micah knew who God is. He knew of His promises. He calls upon God for God's name's sake. And we also have been given promises from God that we can call upon God and claim those promises, not because of who we are, but because of God's goodness. Let me give you an example here. Hold your place in Micah 7. Would you go to 2 Samuel chapter 7? 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's read verses 18 through 29. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what can David say more to thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what nation in the and what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations of their gods. For thou hast Confirm to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever, and thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning this house, 
establish it forever, and do as thou hast said. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true. And thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Now we see here David praying before before God. God has made the promise. He's given him the Davidic covenant that he was going to raise up one to sit upon the throne. Um, Eternally, this was going to be well beyond just Samuel. This was Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verses 18 through 20, uh, David recognizes he's nothing before God. He says in verse 18, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And then in verses 19 and 20, David recognizes that he's just God's servant. (laughs) This man's the king. He's like, I'm just your servant. I'm, I'm nothing in your sight. I'm nobody special. Um, and then we see in verse 21, David recognizes God's blessings are for his word's sake and that it is God who does great things. And in verse 22, David says, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee. In verse 23, David acknowledges that it was God who redeemed Israel, in order that God might have a name upon this earth, that there was a God in heaven. Amen. In verse 25, it is God's word that David is trusting in. In verse 26, it's all about God. Let thy name be magnified forever. In verse 27, it's because of God's promise. In verse 28, David acknowledges he would experience the goodness of God because it's all about God's word. It's all about God's promises. And in verse 29, David knows that God's blessings are a result of who God is and because God will keep his promises. And that is our approach before God. Not, Lord, I know that you've given me this promise because I'm the king after your own heart. And who better for you to bless than me? David goes before God in prayer. He says, look, I'm just your servant. I don't deserve this. This is all about you and your name's sake. And so we don't come before God with the attitude that God owes us. But we come before God on the basis of His Word and who Christ is. And yet some get the idea that they can somehow demand from God. God, you owe me. You've seen how faithful I am. I'm not like that publican over there. I fast twice a week. We don't go to God with that attitude. God doesn't owe us. But we owe Him our life. Now, it's one thing to try to cite how you have honored God. David does that in the Psalms. It's a whole other thing to demand from God. Listen, all we have is God will honor His Word because of who God is. (laughs) Listen, He saves because of His name's sake. 
And so any promises we draw from the word of God isn't because we think we're some holy roller. It's because God is faithful to his word. So it's not about us. Well, God, doesn't God bless some more than others and curse some? It's all according to God's word. Amen. God honors his word. And his word says if you do this, you can expect a curse. And if you do this, you can expect a blessing. Now, if you haven't already, go back to Micah chapter 7. That was just to get us in the frame of mind of how Micah is praying here. He's, he's looking to God on the basis of who God is and not who Israel is. And, and we see here in verse 14, So feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwelleth solitary in the wood in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan, in Gilead, as in the days of old. He's, Micah is asking for God's blessing. Now to be transparent with you, I had a hard time with the time frame that this prayer applies to. Is Micah praying this, asking for a blessing upon them while they are in captivity? Or is Micah praying this, understanding that the blessing would come after their captivity? And some see a mix between the two in this verse. If you study this out on your own, you're going to find a mix of opinions. And that's okay. I don't know for sure as of now, but I will say this. I know God is good to his children at all times. Amen. Whether it's in captivity or not. God knows what he's doing for our good. Um, it may not always feel good, but it is for our good. And God is always good. Amen. God will bless in captivity and he certainly will bless them after their captivity. But for sure we can say there's going to be a fulfillment here after coming out of captivity. And as we go through these verses, I think that's the context here. Um, that this is really referring to when they come back into the land because of even what we see here in verse 14. It talks about uh, Mount Carmel and Bashan and Gilead, and that's, that's the land. But anyway, ultimately all of this is going to have its fulfillment in Christ, which I'll try to draw out as we go through this. Micah begins with, feed thy people with thy rod. So Micah here, he's using the illustration of a shepherd. We've seen that previously in this book, of course, two or three times. He's already used the illustration of a shepherd. And we understand that the Lord is our great shepherd. Psalm 100 and verse 3, it says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. The rod here that is spoken of in verse 14, this is not the rod of chastisement that we have seen in the previous verses talked about that for a couple weeks. This is, this is a different uh, idea here. It's, it's the same thing, but it has a different application. The, the rod here is showing us this is a shepherd language that we have going on. Every shepherd had a rod and he had a staff. And they were used in various ways, depending on the need and, and tending to the flock. And you'll be glad to know that I've resisted the temptation of going into a side study on the uses of the rod and the staff. Amen. That, that was for your benefit. Amen? Now, the, um, the rod, interesting. We're not going to get into this. Like I said, I, I, I did well in resisting this. But the rod, it was used, we already know, for correction. It was used for protection, direction, and even for accounting. I found that interesting. We'll talk about that just for a minute. According to Leviticus 27.32... It says, and concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, 
Even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Now, I love this picture because it means God is always watching over us. He knows where we are. He keeps an account of us. He knows your whereabouts. And if we stray, he deals with us accordingly. Matthew 12, 11, and he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? He knows when one goes astray. He's kept an account of his sheep. In Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14, though the context is salvation, certainly the application still is here. It says, How thank ye, if a man have an hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And so God keeps an account. If we fall in a pit, he knows it. He knows whether we've come under, passed under the rod for accountability. And he goes, he seeks us out, he lays holds of us, he lifts us out, hallelujah. And if we wander off and we go astray, he comes and he seeks us out. We have a loving shepherd in the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen. When we fall, he's there. And, uh, and when, we, when we drift, he's there. And thank God for this. And now the, the request is that God would feed them with his rod. And so the idea here is that, uh, here is that God would uh, protect them, direct them, keep an account of them. That Hebrew word for free, uh, feed, it means to tend a flock, to put them into pasture for grazing, also while keeping company with the sheep. <laughs> Isn't that precious? Amen. So the Lord, he not only keeps account of us, listen, he, he brings us to where we can eat, and He's there with us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of right, paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Micah calls them the flock of thine heritage. Now, they're God's flock because God redeemed them. Amen. He paid the ransom price. They're, they're his. And elsewhere, they are called God's inheritance. And so we see then, all ownership belongs to God. It, it is thy people, it is thy rod, and it is thine inheritage. God is in complete control. And as God's children uh, in Christ, we belong to God. And we are fed by God. He leads us into green pastures. He shepherds us because we are His blood-bought redeemed. We are His peculiar treasure. We are His people. And because of this, we are secure in Christ. John 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I will give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Amen. And on that note where it says in verse 14 here, that they would dwell in the wood, 
that is a phrase which indicates they would dwell in safety. It, it pictures peace, quietness, security, and shelter. They would be in the Black Hills as opposed to where I live where there's no trees. Therefore, no peace. Amen. So dwelling in the wood, it, it's peace, it's security, it's quietness. Ezekiel 34, verses 25 through 28. And, and I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them in the places round about my hill a blessing and I will cause the shower to come down in his season and there shall be showers of blessing. And the tree of the field shall yield her fruit and the earth shall yield her increase and they shall be safe in their land shall know that I am the Lord when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them out of the hands of those that served themselves of them, speaking of the captivity. And they shall no more be a prey to the heathen, neither shall the beast of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and none shall make them afraid. Dwelling in the wood, dwelling in safety. Micah here, he's, he's talking about the safety that they'll enjoy one day, and then it says that they shall dwell solitary in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. This is good. This, this word for solitary, it's also translated as alone, desolate, and only, and it means to be separated. Now, because it can mean desolate, some see them dwelling in solitary here, as a reference to the time of their captivity, but I'm of the opinion that this is being used in a good sense and that this is all tied to God's blessing because it connects it to Carmel, which I'll mention here in just a minute. But this is this solitary. It comes from a root word which means to divide. And, and I believe the sense here is how Israel has been divided or separated by God from all the rest of the nations. Why? God said, I want to show the heathen nations around you that there is a God in heaven. And through you, I'm going to put a difference between clean and unclean. Holy and unholy. And I'm going to use this nation of Israel to show that difference. Moses said to God in Exodus 33, 16, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people upon the face of the earth. Balaam said to Balak in Numbers 23, 9, From the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Deuteronomy 33, 28. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon the land of corn and wine. Also his heaven shall drop down dew. This is how we are in Christ. We are a separated people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Let there be a difference, and I will receive you. You will be sons and daughters unto me. Jesus said that while we are in the world, we're not of the world. 
He says, even as I'm not of the world. Peter said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, different from all other nations. That ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God. What is it that God wants from His people? He wants there to be a separation from the world, not in that we are forsaking to reach them, not that we don't have acquaintances and friendships and things like that, but what God is wanting us to do is to say, I cannot go there with you. I cannot touch that. I cannot indulge in that. I cannot participate in that. Why? Because we're a separated people. We dwell solitary in the wood. We are separated but secure. We we are different. We are unique. We are God's chosen people. He bled for us. He died for us. He He wants us to flourish in this world to show that we have come out of that darkness over there. We have stepped into His marvelous light and we are showing forth that to the world around us that there is a difference in Christ. We are separated from this world of sin. We're an unholy nation. We're different from all the other nations. Jesus said, I'm going to take it away from you and I'm going to give it to a nation which will bear fruit. It is that holy nation. It is us. It is God's people. We now bear that fruit. We are different in every way and we're not reckoned among the nations. We dwell solitary in this world below. We're alone, but we're not alone. We're separated. We're always under His watch care. Micah not only said they dwell alone, but that they dwell in the midst of Carmel or Carmel, depending on how you want to pronounce that. I like Carmel, amen, so that's what we're going to go with. Carmel means, all right, Carmel means fruitful. Fruitful, as in a plenteous field. As God's people, we are blessed with the fruitfulness of, of God's blessing. Whoop. Micah prays for them that they would dwell alone, but that they would dwell in the midst of Carmel. And then he says, to feed in Bashan and Gilead. This is also a picture of God's blessing to his people. These were the fruitful fields where the cattle would grow fat and strong. Jeremiah 50, verses 18 through 20. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria, and I will bring Israel again to his habitation. And he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and in Gilead. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. For the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. For I will pardon them whom I reserve. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 15. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeketh out his flock as in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in that cloudy and dark day. 
and will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. One more passage here. Isaiah 35 verses 1 through 4. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon. And they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands. Confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. This is all about blessing here. And I have no doubt that God would bless them while they were in captivity. But as God would bring them out of captivity, all these greater blessings would come upon them. They would dwell separately once again. They would be brought out from those nations. Namely Babylon, but they would be brought out from where they had been scattered. They were a separated people. And they would be brought out to dwell separately. They would come out of there and be a peculiar people. They'd be reestablished re-established again in the land. They would experience the fruitfulness of the land once again that was found in Carmel. They would experience the fruitful fields for their cattle. And as God's people applying this to them spiritually, they would once again be fruitful like Carmel and they would be fed like the cattle of Bashan and Gilead. God was going to feed them with His rod and and God watches over them and He directs them and protects them. He keeps an account of them. He never loses sight of His children. He's always ready to bless those who are right with Him. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards Him. So even though we saw in verse 13 that the land would be desolate because of their wickedness, and even though they would reap the fruit of their doings, we find that God is going to be merciful to them once again. (laughs) Now listen, I don't know what you're going through, but that ought to bring you comfort. God's going to be merciful once again. And finally, we see at the end of verse 14 how these blessings are spoken of as in the days of old. Now this is not a longing for the simpler days, okay? This isn't longing for, you know, Mayberry, where a sheriff doesn't have to wear a gun. It's not what this means. It's not longing for the good old days, as we use the phrase. But the days of old are a reference to when the children of Israel first inherited the land. They were new. Ezekiel 16 talks about how God found them in their blood when they were birthed and how he brought them along. And and in that newness there, There was something special in those days of old that they were experiencing these blessings of God um, simply because God was favoring them because he made a promise. And, And so before their sins were multiplied, they were supposed to drive all the nations out, but they didn't. 
and Judges chapter 1, and nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. They didn't drive out the inhabitants. They ended up being exactly what God said they would be to them, a snare. Before their sins were multiplied, before they were being told captivities on the way. And this is a longing for when our fellowship with God is where it ought to be. When we remember that our walk with God was pure. Our walk with God was good. Do you remember those days? Remember when you woke up on Sunday and you were excited to come to church? Back in the days when you were walking in the light as he is in the light. Now we ought to remember those days. And those days ought to motivate us to know God's favor again. So remember the days of past blessing is what this means. Remember how God blessed you then to get you Remember how he blessed you then because the affliction you're in now, you may be thinking, I just don't see how God's going to bless. I don't know how he's going to come through. Remember the days of old. He did it then. Have you noticed in your life how God has built your faith up? And now you can look back years, decades, whatever, and you can look back now and you can realize how, man, I was just... I had so much faith in that, and now that's like nothing. You, you realize now, I don't know why that was such a big deal then. Because God's increased your faith to where, man, that which I was really concerned about back there, God's got it. Well, God brings you into bigger and bigger issues and bigger circumstances in life. And you have to look back at those days, and you have to remember, you know what? God was there for me then. He's going to be there for me now, and he's going to be there for me in the future. And so he's building our faith, and we, we remember those past blessings to get us through what it is we're going through, knowing that once our heart is right with God again, we can experience those blessings as in the days of old. Lamentations 1.7. Remember, Lamentations, Jeremiah is writing about the takeover, that which Mike is prophesying about. The, the Babylonians have arrived, and, and, and he, he writes in Lamentations 1.7, Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction. Remember, we've been talking about their affliction. He says, Jerusalem remembered in the days of her affliction and of her miseries all her, her pleasant things that she had in the days of old. The enemy came in, and guess what? It reminded them, boy, we used to have it good. We used to experience the blessing of God. And in the day of their captivity, while in the affliction and, and misery, they would be reminded of God's former blessings and mercies. Lamentations 5, 21. Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days of old. Judah's distress arrived. They knew at that moment, for whatever reason, they weren't seeing it like they should beforehand, but they knew in that moment, we have departed from the living God. This is coming upon us as a result of our actions. We're not experiencing God's blessings. We have turned our back on Him, and we need to see Him again as the true God and the source of all blessings. All right, let me hurry. Everybody's happy now. Yay! And as we'll see next week, God will turn them again. He will bring them out of captivity and He will once again do to them as in the days of old. 
Amos 9.11, In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. I want to tell you this morning that sometimes the affliction is to get you back in line with God. Get you back in a right walk, in a right sight, in a right view of Him, to know Him better. And God will use that in our life as we drift away in our sinfulness. He will bring affliction to get us back. We can see that we're moving away. All of a sudden, we start to understand I'm not experiencing God's blessings. Psalm 143, verses 3 through 5 For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He has smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore, because of that, because of that persecution, is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old, he said. I remember the days of old. And I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the works of thy hand. So that persecution that David went through, it was helping him to remember, hey, wait a minute. God is still all-powerful. He created all this. He's still able to deliver. He's still good. Just as He's done in past generations, He can do now. And then there was Asaph in Psalm 77, who in his day of trouble, he called to remembrance the days of old. It says there, I have considered the days of old. The years of ancient times, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will He be favorable no more? Is His mercy clear gone forever? Doth His promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Selah. Let me just pause for a second and think. And then he says, This is my infirmity. This is my weakness. I know I shouldn't think this way. But I will remember the years of thy right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. He felt like all hope was lost. Some of you feel that way. But he wisely remembered the days of old. How God used to work on the behalf of his people. And we ought to remember the days of old because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what He's done for others, He can do for you. So I don't like what I'm going through. He just wants you back in fellowship. So I want to tell you this morning as I wind this thing down, keep praying through your affliction, through your distress. Keep praying for God's blessings once again. Don't give up. Remember who God is. Remember His days of old. And I want you to know this morning, please hear me well, there is life on the other side of your captivity. Say, it sure doesn't look like it. It sure doesn't feel like it. There is. There's hope. There's life. There's blessings. Again, there's there's that fresh feeling of, I'm I'm back. I'm, I'm, I'm with God again. I'm feeling the blessings again. Stay with it. Don't give up. God, He's in our future. He's in our present. He is the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. He's already there on the other side.
keep walking with him. Let's pray.